Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father, knowing that you are a good Father, Lord. And thank you, Lord, like Chris also shared, Father, as we're on this mission together, Lord, lifting up your name, Father, seeing redemption come, Father, the good news of the gospel being spread out throughout the world, Lord, disciples made, Lord, people going on missions, Father, that we can every now and again, Lord, just turn to one another and laugh as well, Lord, and enjoy, Father, the mission that you've sent us upon, Father. And I also just come and pray, Lord, that we might just realize anew, Father, that what you've called us to, Lord, is it's a life of joy and fulfillment, Father. And I just come and pray also, Lord, as we dive into your word more and more, Father, that the lies of the enemy, Lord, that he wants to come and sell us, Lord, that God is wanting us to miss out on life, or you are withholding something from us, Lord, that we might just realize that it's not true, Lord. You are good, Father. I pray, Lord, for hearts to be set on eternity, Lord, as temptation only functions in the realm of the temporal. It might seem good now, but at the end, Lord, we know that we're serving a good Father, Lord, that withholds nothing except, Father, the things that will hurt, destroy, and ultimately lead to death. And thank you, Lord, that we know that we serve a good Lord, a good Father. And Holy Spirit, I pray that we might have a revelation today, Lord. Firstly, Lord, the unfortunate truth, Lord, of the condition of the human heart, Lord, as sinners come into this world, Father, that we might realize, Lord, the extent of it, Lord, the seriousness of it. But at the same time, Lord, may we have a revelation of the grace of the Father who calls and willing to redeem us, Lord, from that. And may we also see, Father, the biblical response as man starts to walk in the way that you have again prepared for us, Lord, so that reconciliation and restoration may have its effect in our lives. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, everybody. If you're new here. My name is Vian, I'm the pastor, and it's a privilege for me to be here with you and to share this word with you. We're busy with a small sermon series called A Mile in the Shoes of. As we look at certain people of the Bible, walk a mile in their shoes, see how God works with his people, what is the commands that he gives them, how do they respond, how does God extend grace, and what is the lessons that we can learn from them. We've been busy with Adam and Eve, and tonight we're closing off with Adam and Eve as we look at part three, Restoration. And for those of you who haven't been here last week, the signal was a bit bad over the Zoom recording and the recording didn't work well. So for me to just quickly recap and what, we've, what we've been busy with. We looked at part one, the perfect mile, Adam and Eve in the presence of God, everything as it should be, nothing wrong with the world. And saying, but what can we learn from this? And especially in the age where man seeks for identity, meaning and purpose. And we ask the question, but where do we get our identity from? Where do we arrive purpose? What gives meaning to life? Because it seems like all the more today, people start and look for identity and meaning in place. You know, the place. Where am I? Maybe if I'm just in a better place, move to Cape Town or to overseas, then there will be fulfillment, there will be peace in my life. If the place can change. And in this week, I was driving to go pick up my kids from school. And as I was driving past this one house, they sit this old man outside in a wheelbarrow. And his wife came out and brought him some juice. And they're working in the garden. They're trying to fix up the home a little bit. You know, and as I was driving past, God just reminded me you know, of how certain people, literally all that they do 
whenever they can, especially when they go on pension, is try to fix and improve and, you know, get into a better state, the place where they are at. Either we are trying to move to a new place and have that mentality many times, if I only get there or stay there, then there will be fulfillment, then there will be peace, then there will be joy. We try and fix the place where we are busy living. You know, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you, you know, retile your kitchen, then you've lost your purpose or identity in life. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you know, be careful of why we try and do it constantly. If you're constantly always improving or, you know, have this feeling that something needs to change around the house or the place that you live, ask yourself why. Because maybe it is that you forget that in the presence of God, purpose and identity is found. As we looked at, in the image of God, we were created in His likeness. There's no understanding or knowing ourselves if we don't know God. We will not arrive at the place where we know ourselves. The more people go on a self-discovery journey, the more they seem to lose themselves and become confused about who we are. If we look at the world, identity is lost. People are very, very, very confused. The more we tend to start with ourselves and not in the beginning God, the more we become deceived. We turn to what we do or who we are with. But we saw that it is God that gives meaning to life, walking with him. If we understand that God brings the place, God brings the person, God brings the job, then all of a sudden it has meaning. And it gives purpose to what we do in life. Not so much the who, but who brought. Not so much the where, but who took me there. And then we also looked at part two as God came and did a bit of expectation management of what we can expect from life after sin has entered. Things are not like they should be. Relationships are destroyed. There's blame shifting. There's selfishness. As the man says, kills, kill the woman. The woman says, kill the snake. And all of a sudden, blame shifting takes place. And the man wants to rule over the wife. The wife wants to rule over the husband. And like God said to Cain in Genesis 4, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And we said that the reason why we should expect these things as God explains them to us is so that we can expect them, not accept them, but rule over them. We don't need to be caught off guard every time these things happen to us. And the most important one, as we'll again look at today, is that man has a tendency to hide from God because he's afraid because of his nakedness and shame, and he tries to cover up himself. And we are not called to do that, but to draw near to a God that graciously calls us. As we again submit unto the Lordship of Jesus, where he is the King, and we do not try and decide for ourselves what is wrong and what is right. You know, last time we looked a lot of the effect of sin around us, not so much at the effect of sin in us, but it's for us incredibly important to understand the effects of sin in our own lives as well. It's not the best topic. People don't love to speak about it. But let's quickly speak at how much, you know, we suck at life. It's not the best topic. You know, whenever you go and sit and say to someone, okay, this is the, the topic around, people don't like that. But we have to understand that. We have to understand the problem of sin in our own lives, and we'll see that as we go through this topic again today. There's a problem in the human heart, in the human life. You know, Wayne Grudem says it beautifully. He says, we, do not, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. There's a difference. There's a problem. And God did not come to just deal with the effect of sin, but with the root of it, the core inside of us. So that that can be healed. So that we don't simply go to God and simply say sorry and next week we do the same thing. But a renewal can come. So that we can again look like 
Jesus, the image of God restored because the fall damaged it. We did not lose it, but restoration needs to take place. We're going to look at three things as we go through this topic. The first one is there'll be a realization or just glimpses of the seriousness of sin and also the effect of sin on us as humans. And it's important for us to understand that. Secondly, we'll see the grace of God as he calls us. He sets this process of restoration in motion and brings it to completion. And then thirdly, we'll quickly look at how we respond publicly to the work that God has done to ensure that we are not only spectators to the way that God has made or look at the open door that stands in front of us, but actually start walking on the way that God prepared and go through the door that is open. Because many times we just look at it, look, the door's open, but we don't walk through. So let's read together and see what we can learn from this. Genesis 3, from verse 1 to 24. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it and ate its fruit. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the fruit of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his, wife, uh, his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to work the ground 
from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turns every way to God, the way to the tree of life. And there's so much caught up in that last couple of verses that we saw. So much that we realize, so much that we see from it. It's kind of the dilemma that we are in as man. Man stands outside of the garden and Eve's there. And they're looking towards the garden. And they're seeing the sword that moves sideways. You know, if, they, if I was there, the sword is on the east side. I would just entered from the west. And I'm just making a joke. Obviously, that would not have worked. But you see the sword is there. And they're standing and they're looking at the garden. They might have asked to themselves, we are in a predicament. How will we again walk with God? How will we be restored again to the presence of God? Because man is now in the realm of death. God said, you will die. Spiritually, they did. They were cut off from life. We saw that in part one. Whenever God creates something in the story of creation, he addresses the thing from which it derives its life. When the plants and the trees were created, he says, let the ground bring forth. And if you remove it from the ground, it dies. It's where it gets its life from. When it spoke about the fishes and the great sea creatures, he addresses the waters. Let the waters swarm with living things. He addresses its life source. And when he made man, God said, let us. The God is turning to one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. That is where man gets his life from. Cut off from God, he's in the realm of death. And slowly but surely, man starts to degrade and they become less and less of what they are supposed to be. They go from bad to worse. And they sit there with the predicament, but how will we enter? Because if we enter, we will surely die. The sword will cut us to pieces. We are unable from man's side to go in. Who will again restore? Who will take away the sword? Who will make a way for man to go in again? And here also we note, you know, God gives us a brief story of the extent of the sin in the human heart. And for a moment, it's as if God leaves man to his own devices and the story progresses to a family, Noah and his sons and their wives. And God sends a flood over the earth, and we all know the story, to wipe out the evil from off this planet, the people. God says, I regret that I've made man. And he wipes them out, and he chooses this family to start over with. So not God making a bad choice. He's just there to illustrate something to us, to show us something. And he picks us, if you will, you know, if you can just place ourselves there for a moment. We need to choose a family to start over again. Okay, let's, cho- let's choose the most righteous family. The seemingly best behaved, the best moral standard. Let's choose them. Noah and his family. God saves them, the wicked people of the earth drown and they all die. What they deserve, by the way. What we deserve. We'll see that in a moment. And as God starts over with this new family, what's the first thing that happens when they get off the ark? Noah plants a vineyard. Makes wine, gets drunk. That's his you know, effort towards restoration. Plants a vineyard, get drunk. He's naked in a tent. His younger son goes in there. Some weird stuff happened. That's the people that we are left with. And God says, no matter who I wipe away or who I need to start over with, man has a problem. Do you understand? Do you see the results of sin, the root of sin? 
is in each and every one of us. Sin came into the world and death through one man. But death spread because all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We have a problem. And it's important for us to know that because the question then we ask ourselves and like we saw in part two, the tendency of man is to hide from God because of fear. And it manifests in a couple of ways. We either downplay our sinfulness, we downplay God's righteousness, or we pretend that God does not exist like many people do in the world today. But it's because of fear of our nakedness. We don't want to stand before a righteous God. We don't want to face that judgment. But the good news is, as man tries to hide from God, God is the one that always moves first. He is the one that calls. And that is where the story starts in every single life. Each and every one of us here, God is the one that moves first. Without exception to every one of us. It says here in Genesis 3 verse 8 to 11. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And Adam said, it's because I was afraid. And then the best words in all of scripture appear. But the Lord God. But the Lord God. If it wasn't for those words, each and every one of us will still be hiding somewhere behind a bush. Because we are afraid to stand before a holy God. Because of the judgment that will be pronounced. But as Adam hears the grace of God calling. He's still calling us. He still wants to walk with us. Adam comes and he says to God. I hid because I was afraid. But when I heard the voice of grace calling. I came out. But we have to understand that God is the one that always moves first. We have to understand that God is the one that shows grace. He's not passive aggressive. Like we sometimes are in marriage. I mean, my wife, we had a, a passive-aggressive session on, on, on Tuesday. Okay, you do you and I'll do me. And when you're ready to sort yourself out, we'll speak again. You kind of do that sometimes. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't get passive-aggressive. He doesn't go stand in a corner and he's like, okay, you sort out yourself and then we'll talk. He doesn't do that. A loving father always calling. Where? Are you? You know, John Calvin of all people says, it's only when man realizes the mercy of God that he musters up the courage to come and repent. Because if it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, no man would dare draw near to God. What a dreadful day that would be. If the mercy and the grace of God was to be removed. And we have to understand this. We have to understand the grace. We have to understand the mercy. Of a loving God calling us. You know, in those words, but the Lord God. Whenever scripture tries to explain the condition that we find ourselves in, those beautiful words appear. We read in Ephesians 2, it's not on the board, but you can note it and go and read it for yourselves. From verse 1 to 3, it explains the problem that we find ourselves in. It says, but you were dead in your sins and transgressions following the patterns of this world. And it actually says the principalities of evil, the powers of darkness, they had control over us. Because we are slaves to the one we obey. And Adam and Eve became slaves to the one they obeyed that day. But because of the grace of God, he came and sets us free. And it says we were by nature like the rest of mankind, subject to the wrath of God. By nature, children of wrath. But then verse 4, but God. 
in his kindness, forbearance and mercy, made us alive together with Christ. But God, those beautiful words appear once again. Nevertheless, yet, God is the one that saves us. We read the same thing in Titus 3. And in verse 3 it explains again, but we all were disobedient, led astray by various passions and pleasures, spending our day in envy and malice, hating one another and being hated ourselves. But when the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Isn't that beautiful words? But the Lord God. But He called. And we need to understand this. And not only does he call and man comes and stands because God extends grace in front of them, but the whole rest of the picture and progress of restoration is God doing the work. Man simply stands there while God does everything else. Look how the rest of the story unfolds as man beholds the grace and goodness of God. Firstly, when it comes to the problem of evil, God says he will deal with that. Genesis 3, verse 14 to 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, he didn't ask him and you, what do you have to say for yourself? Like he did with the man and the woman, no. God says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. Cursed are you. And he pronounces judgment. I will set myself against you and I will deal with the problem of evil in this world. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will do this. I, the Lord, will do this. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall, not plural, but singular, he shall, there will come one, born of the lineage of the woman, and he will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. But note that the one that comes to deal with the power of darkness, it will cost him something. He will be hurt in the process. It will not be easy, but it will cost him something. But God says, I will deal with the powers of darkness. And yes, many times he does that through us. And sometimes literally a day after salvation, like Aubrey explained, as he went on that mission, we went there for deliverance. It was quite hectic when you are saved the day before and you encounter God. And the next day, God says, okay, go cast out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick. Like, yes, Lord, don't you want us to start with something more simple? Let's first invite someone to church. And God says, no, we'll start with this with you. But he's the one that does that through us. But before grace is extended, God says he will make a way and he will deal with darkness. And we read in Colossians 2 verse 15, you can go and read that. It said, but he disarmed the principalities, authorities, and powers by triumphing over them and making a public spectacle of them by the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus disarmed them. And when we as believers go against the enemy, we are going against a weaponless, armless enemy. The name of Christ. But he will deal with the powers of darkness. Revelations 20 verse 10. And it says, And the devil who deceived everybody was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the false prophet and the beast was. And they will be tormented day and night for eternity. God dealing with the enemy. He doesn't say to man, okay, you got yourself into this predicament. You obeyed his voice. Now you deal with him. And once you've overcome the powers of darkness, then we can speak again. Then we'll speak about restoration and seeing what we can do about our relationship. God says, no, I will. That in of itself is grace. God dealing with that for us. Coming to set us free from the power of sin and darkness. 
And now you must think, okay, God turns to Adam after he spoke with Satan. And he said, because you rebelled, because you want to be God, because you want to be in charge, cursed are you. And he turns to Adam. And Adam, no, I, I did the same. It was not enough for me to be made in the likeness of God, but I wanted the knowledge of good and evil. I also want to be God. I also want to rule. I also rebelled against the holy God. What will be his judgment? And then we read Genesis 3 verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed, you can kind of sense Adam holding up his breath. Cursed. Because cursed was the devil that rebelled against God. What will happen to me? Cursed is the ground because of you. I like what Colin Smith said. You know, he reads the statement and is like, but what did the ground do? What did the ground do? And Adam there, you know, sighing that sigh of relief. How on earth am I not cursed? Where will this curse fall? Only the ground? No. Someone must bear the curse because man rebelled. And we'll see that in a moment. And then the rest of the sentence come. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And Adam's like, all the days of my life? I thought my life would end today. But now God says there's more life. God says, yes, spiritually you are dead. You are cut off from God. You're in the realm of dead. And physically you will also die, but not today. And Adam's like, but who will die today? And God says, I will provide the sacrifice. Genesis 3, 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Where did God get the skins? God went and brought an animal. And God sacrificed. And God made clothes out of skin for them. And he clothed them. Not only did he make the garments to cover their nakedness, but he is the one that clothes them. From the place where restoration started, man has just stood and watched as a gracious God literally provides everything. And Adam might have asked, Lord, is this enough for an animal to die in our place? And God said, no. Not only is it not enough, it's temporal. Now we killed something, but later it has to be someone. And then we, le- we read in Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Cursed is he because of us. The God that should have pronounced a curse on us became the curse so that we can go free. What a loving God. Do you see the grace of God? The only one that could pronounce judgment becomes the one that bears the punishment. The one against whom we rebelled says, I will take your place. I will become that curse for you. And later the sacrificial system gets implemented a bit more, you know, specifically through Moses and through the Levitical system. And we read and we can all imagine this in our heads as they took that lamb or they took that goat or whatever they were offering and they took it to the altar. Maybe some of us that have children, you can picture this image in your mind as you walk with your young girl or boy and you're taking that lamb to pay for sins and they ask, Mom, Dad, what are we doing? 
saying we're taking this to be killed for our sins. The child asks, is it necessary? Is our sins really that bad that something needs to die? He says, yes, my son, it's necessary. And they stand there and they see the animal getting killed. And they realize the seriousness of sin. But the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And as they explain to him, not only is this the seriousness of sin, but do you see, my son, the grace of God by allowing something else to take our place? And not only this, but it will not all Always be an animal, but God has promised that there will come one day a Savior to save us from this so that this can be an eternal sacrifice. Do you see that? And they realize two things as they go and take that animal firstly, the seriousness of sin, but secondly, the grace of God. Important for us to understand that. It takes us to point number three. A mile in the shoes of Adam and Eve, God has made a way for us to walk with Him again. And I want to implore us as we are sitting here, may this never just be a statement that we read, grow fond of. Like, do you realize the gravity of that statement that God made a way for us to be with him again? Like, do you understand the implications of that, of Christ taking our place? Like we sang today, freely you gave it all for us. Every time we see Jesus on that cross, we need to realize, but I should have been there. I should have been there. He took my place so that I can walk with God again. May it never become something that we simply read and say, I know that. I know that. There's a song by an 80s rock band called Petra, the coloring song. Not something for children, but you can play it for them as well. Not meaning it's not for children, but the title sounds like a children's song. But it says, blue is the color of a heart so cold that will not bend when the story is told of the love of God for a sinful race, for the blood that flowed down Jesus' face. Like how can we read that and just not be moved by it? The problem then is, is this something that we don't understand. Either we don't understand the seriousness of sin, we don't understand the grace of God. Because if we did, our hearts will move each and every time. But God is the one that is doing this for us. And the reason it's important for us to note both those things is because if we do not understand the seriousness of sin, we might think that we are not in need of redemption. We might think that we are doing okay on our own. That's simply not the case. There's something we cannot do that God has to do. If left to our own devices, we will go from bad to worse. God needs to come and do this. We need to draw near. But then with that, we need to understand the grace of God. Because if we don't understand it, we won't draw near out of fear. Because we are terrified of that judgment. And I know people that simply sit here, and maybe some of you are sitting here tonight, and you are thinking to yourselves, no, but I cannot draw near to God because He's not willing to forgive. He's not going to extend grace. You don't know what I have done or how many times I've done it. Surely God will cast me away. That's not the case. God is the one that's calling you. You are the reason. He's the reason why you're hearing the message. Jesus is calling. Don't hide. Don't try and cover up. But come to him when he calls. Now John Newton said, 
That Christ would not invite the weary and the heavy laden to come to him if he was not willing and able to give them rest. God does not call if he's not willing and able. Now Jesus sits at the well in John 4, the Samaritan woman, and he says to her, if you only knew who I was and what I could give you, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given it to you. I would have not withhold, but I would have given it to you. But our problem is we don't understand who Jesus is. We don't sometimes understand what we need. We need that living water to flow from or else we will always be thirsty. And we need to understand the one that wants to give it will always give when we ask. But it's something that we need to understand. I want to ask us a question tonight. Just to see where we are. Are you drawing near to God? Are you calling out to Him? Because what is the inevitable outflow of someone aware of their sin, but at the same time aware of the grace of God? What can it be other than someone calling out, saying, Lord, help. Have mercy, have compassion. Come and renew, come and restore. Because I see the extent of sin in my life, but also see your grace. There's no other conclusion than someone calling out, Lord, please save. Lord, please help. And we'll quickly look at that in the last point. Because many times, and specifically the culture that we live in, we think because Jesus made a way and he came to die for us, and he just automatically took effect in our lives. The way is prepared, the door is open, but now we're standing looking at it. And we're not walking in it, and that's the reason why restoration does not take place. It's the reason why the likeness of God is not restored in most men. Because we don't walk and we don't pursue the way that God has made for us. We need to pursue it. We need to press in. And we read the following in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 to 18. And it says, We all, with unveiled faces, speaking of the veil being removed so that we can see the glory of the gospel, the light of Jesus Christ. It says, We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love what the Afrikaans says. It says, as we behold, we are being transformed. And we said that in part one, as Adam opened up his eyes and he beheld God, the God in whose likeness he was created, he knew who he was, he saw his identity, he saw the reason why he was alive, for whom he was living and what gives purpose to all of life. And again, God calls us, you need to behold me if you want to be restored once again. We read in Colossians 3 verse 10 and it says, put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Again, being restored to the image we were supposed to resemble in knowledge as we get to know God a little more, if we get to see him a little bit. And then the question is, where do we behold? Where do we see? How do I look upon God? How do I draw near? How do I see his glory? And that gets answered in chapter four. You can go and read that for yourself. But Paul says, this glory is the light of the gospel, the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the gospel, the words of God, where is the gospel found? Like we saw today in every single page of scripture, every single story. From beginning to end. The good news of the gospel of a loving God. Calling sinful man so that he can cover him in grace. And restore again what was lost in the garden. Each and every single page of scripture. The glory of the gospel. Jesus Christ being revealed. 
And if we ask and we pray so that the Spirit might give us wisdom, we will see. And those two things need to be present, not just simply knowing of God, but being with God. As we seek Him in Scripture, as we pray to Him and call out to a loving God to come and do what only He can do. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He's the one that changes. We cannot. He needs to come and do a work in us. That takes us to the last point. Point number four. As we behold God again, God renews us again. And the reason I say again is because even in this walk that we have and after we come to salvation, there will be times where we lose sight, where we lose focus. We again look to earthly things and where the image of God becomes a bit distorted once again. But God says, every time you refocus your vision upon me, I will restore again the joy of my salvation. I will restore again. I will never cast away. I will by no means cast out those who come to me. Every single time. But we need to do this drawing near in scripture and in prayer. Both of those things need to be present in our lives and also the fellowship of believers, but specifically those two things when you look at our individual lives. If it's not there, we will struggle. There's a reason why some of us simply seem to, to struggle too much. Our spiritual life doesn't seem to be alive. The image of Christ doesn't seem to take root in us again. No restoration is found. Salvation, that's when we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. When we lay down our lives, take up our cross and follow Him. So that we simply obey the voice of God once again. Justification once of, but sanctification, that is a process. And it takes some time. And I know for most of us, and we need to be aware of this, we'll have a tendency to either pray or either read. One of those things will come more naturally than the other. Those two things combined leads to worship, by the way. There's no way something else can flow out by seeing a loving God calling out to him that does not lead to worshiping him. But both needs to be present. You know, they asked C.H. Spurgeon, what is more important, reading the Bible or praying? And he responded, what is more important, breathing in or out? You'll need to do both unless you die. You need to do both. And some of us are struggling to breathe spiritually and there's no life because both is not present. We need to draw near to God. And what will happen once again if a man is aware of the sin in his life, but also aware of the grace of God, he will call out, he will draw near. That is why David called out, Lord, according to your steadfast love, according to your mercy, according to your grace, blot out my transgression. And he called out to God, create in me a clean heart. Why? Because I am unable, God is able and he is willing. Otherwise he would not have asked. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew the spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. We need to pray that prayers. When last have you asked God and implored him to come and fix what only he can fix? It's needed. Because there is a problem. Not just the result, but the core of the issue of sin. God wants to come and restore. And then the image of God begins to shape in us again and I enter the workplace and I'm more creative and more productive because I was with the creator that loves to produce. Otherwise, if I enter the workplace and I'm passive and I don't work as I should and I'm lazy and my work just never seems to be done or good quality, then you have to ask yourself, has that place of restoration taken place in your lives? Do you understand that you were created in the image of God? Spoke about it in the week, you know, if the 
The fall never happened. If sin never entered into the human life, many people think, yes, we would still be chilling in the garden. No. We would have created things because we were made in the image of God. That creates. We would have just created better stuff. There would have been like no Kias, only BMWs. Just making a joke, people. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe, maybe that would have been the case. But there would, <laughs> there would have only been good stuff. But we would have created because we were made in the image of God. And as I come out of the presence of God, I love my wife a little better. Because I've been with the God that is love. And asked him to come and do what only he can do. And as I go to my children, I'm a better parent. Because I was with the perfect father. And asked him to come and do what only he can do. But as I exit his presence, I also hate sin a little more and tolerate it a little less. Because I know what it cost God to come and redeem me from it. There's no way we beheld that and tolerate it. It cost God too much for me to be still stuck in the same stuff every day. I hate sin a little more, tolerate it a little less. Because God feels that way about it. We should, hide, we should hide one thing, and that is the sin that brings destruction and death into this world. And I'll leave us with one action point for tonight. You can write it down if you want to. Isaiah 10 verse 12. It's where God says, break up the fellow ground, the hard ground. The places where we have, you know, for, forgotten to implore God to come and water the ground, to come and do what only He can do. And there's certain places and areas in our lives that is hard. It lacks restoration. It's not looking how it's supposed to look. And God says, break up the fellow ground. For it's time to seek the Lord until He comes and rains down righteousness upon us. It's time to seek the Lord until He comes. God has made a way. He has opened the door. Don't just stand and look at it. Enter. Begin to walk. And as we read through the pages of Scripture, we'll become very aware of the holiness, the righteousness, and the greatness of God. And in the face of that, we will see our fallenness. But luckily, the grace of God will be there. And we will cry out, Lord, come and do what only you can do. As we get to know Him better, we pray what we read to the God that can do what only He can do. So let's stand and finish off in prayer tonight. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we can come before you tonight, Lord. And just come and thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your willingness, Father, to come and restore sinful man again to your presence, Lord. And the prayer, Lord, the Father, that we have, and we implore you with all of our might, Father, so that you'll give us the grace to keep our hearts soft, so that the words that God has made away, or that Jesus died on the cross, or that the Son of God laid down his life for us, will never become words that we are familiar with, Lord. But we understand, Lord, that is the gospel. And it will remain the gospel. Never will the words be uttered, but man tried hard enough for in of himself he found the moral power to please God without Jesus dying for us on the cross. Never will that be the gospel. And may we realize it always, Lord, may our hearts move, Father, and melt, Father, as we see the sacrifice that you have made. That you provide the sacrifices. We just stand and watch, Lord. But we want to say, Father, that we want to be obedient, Father, as you explain in Hebrews 10, that Jesus made a way through his body, a new and living way, and you say, draw near. 
with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Lord, and we want to say we want to draw near. We want to walk in the way that you created. We want to enter the door that you opened, Lord, so that we can experience your goodness. And we pray, Lord, as we go through this week, Father, that you, yes, you would remind us of our sin, Lord, and that's not the greatest thing that we want to be reminded of, Lord. But with that, Father, may we have a revelation of your grace so that we can call out to you, Father, so that you can come and restore and do what only you can do, Lord. And may we also note, Father, that when we draw near to you, Father, a sovereign God that delights to work through the prayers of his people, that we are not asking you to try and do something, but you do what you have set out to do, Lord. There is none like you, Father, none more mighty, none more willing, Lord. And when you say you give loving water that will not leave us thirsty, Father, we believe. And we ask, Lord, come and give that to us. And come and restore us again, Lord, to the likeness that we were created in, into your image, Father, so that we can be a light to this world and do what you have called us to do, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one that brings that change as we look upon the pages of Scripture and see the glorious gospel of the Jesus Christ. May we have, Lord, the humility, Lord, to call out and say, Lord, that needs to change in my life. And thank you, Lord, that you are good and that you come and have your way amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.